Whoo! I don't know where you are, but down here in the south, it is hella hot, especially on the Floridian Peninsula, though we do have the benefit of a sea breeze. I feel for those folks in the center of the state, because there it is stagnant like a swamp, though I made a deal long ago not to complain about the heat, because I can't stand the cold. So with that in mind, I'll just grin and bear it until long after Labor Day, which is the last holiday that we have to look forward to, though for me, we're coming into what I call birthday and anniversary season. Yep, at the end of the month, my youngest sweet baby child will celebrate her birthday. And then when the calendar turns to August, my oldest will celebrate a birthday as well. But not before my wife and I celebrate five years of marriage. And I'm really looking forward to it. They've been great years. Then when September grows new... My wife's going to celebrate her birth, too, and that is always quite a rager. So I've got to be prepared to get my gifts in gear and be ready to go. With that in mind, every new listener to Josh and Around Counts, so tell your friends, as we talk about birthdays, coitus interruptus, and being born again while we sing Rockabye Baby, and swaddle up another episode of Josh and Around. Summer weddings are traditional, and they can be beautiful as well, especially if you like rain. But when it comes to summer birthdays, I wouldn't recommend them, at least not for the women or the future moms, and by proxy, those new dads. Because if you think it's hot in the summer now, think about adding an extra 50 to 100 pounds. Yeah, not to mention maternity clothes are hideous as is, but the bathing suits are even worse. So before you and your partner think about baking any buns, it's probably best to invest in some keen family planning. We recently met another friend with kids at the beach, and while our children played together by the shore, she told us that she was pregnant. After quickly reading the situation to see if she was cool with that, we told her congratulations, to which she said, yeah, it was just in time, too. If we had waited any longer, the due date would have crept closer to April or early May, and I'm not having a summer baby, so I was going to get back on the pill or tell my husband to keep his damn dirty hands off me, both of which are acceptable forms of contraception though they can each conceal unpredictable consequences. Multiple news organizations have been reporting that sex addiction is now classified by the World Health Organization to be a mental illness. Sad to say, though, for all the John Doe's and Jada Smith's out there addicted to social sex, sadly, that's not the case. Instead, though, the newest international classification of diseases does include compulsive sexual behavior disorder, which is characterized by a persistent pattern of failure to control intense repetitive sexual impulses or urges, resulting in repetitive sexual behavior. However, there's no new language by the WHO that suggests compulsions around sex are classified as addictions. Though other addictions are recognized, including gambling, substance abuse problems, and the recently added gaming disorder. That said, it is great that the World Health Organization is recognizing that there is a sexual behavior disorder out there. I just hope that they can help those introverted addicts treat their hairy palms. Ugh, an apt punishment to be sure, though I bet it didn't dissuade many a boy, just as early Christians weren't dissuaded from wearing a silas, also known as a sackcloth, which was a garment or undergarment made of coarse cloth or animal hair. You know, a hair shirt. This was meant to be worn close to the skin as a self-imposed means of repentance and mortification of the flesh during penitence. Now, I'm not sure if this is a distant retelling of the Greek myth of the shirt of Nessus, which was the poison shirt that killed Heracles, though in my research, I did find a website called knityourdog.com, 
where you can send in your dog's fur that it sheds and they'll make a nice little sweater. As for the hairy palms, well, it seems this myth got its start in the early 1700s when it was first suggested that masturbation could make you blind. But it wasn't until the Victorian era of the 19th century when the anti-masturbation movement hit its stride in the Seventh-day Adventist church. One of their most prominent members, Ellen G. White, who also happens to be one of the most published female American authors in history, suggested that this secret or solitary vice of self-abuse can cause fatigue, anxiety, fuzzy vision, and memory loss. Now, I hate to say it, but it seems a hundred years later, medical science backed her up when they proved that in a zinc-deficient adolescence, sexual excitement and excessive masturbation might precipitate insanity. Now, if the opposite of Ricky Nelson's lyrics in Garden Party are true, then I can only hope that Seventh-day Adventists are real people-pleasers. But, once again, they're bailed out by medical science because I did find a study of 35,000 Californians from 1976 to 1986, and what they found was that Seventh-day Adventists in the study lived four to ten years longer than everybody else. Come back, Zink! Come back! Now, there is some biblical basis to this anti-masturbation movement, or Onanism, as it's known, and it's referenced in Genesis 38, when Judah's second son, Onan, was commanded to sleep with his slain brother's wife and fulfill his duty to her as a brother-in-law to raise up her offspring for his brother. Now, the whole idea there was he was to enter into a leveret marriage with his brother's widow, Tamar, to give her offspring, but all the offspring would then belong to his brother. So what he did was he married his brother's wife, and then when he had sex with her, he would withdraw before his orgasm and spill his seed on the ground, since any child born would not legally be considered his heir. Now, in the Bible, it says that God went ahead and killed him because of his insolence. Yeah. Those are the breaks. And there we have it. The anti-masturbation movement based on the Bible is unfounded because onanism is more accurately described as coitus interruptus, which is another acceptable form of birth control. You might have known it as the withdrawal method, which is when a man pulls out before ejaculation. This method is always free, always available, and doesn't have any side effects. So once again, it looks like the Bible does have all the answers. While not yet speaking in tongues, this is all a bit tongue-in-cheek. Though I did take a theology class or two in college, they weren't along the lines of rabbinical studies, so I was a bit taken aback today researching Genesis 38 when I saw it suggested that Onan may not have been a man at all, but instead representative of an Edomite clan named Onam. His brother Ur may represent a clan too, which is odd because I thought Ur represented a high-paced medical drama. All jokes aside, though, that would seem another example on why we shouldn't take literal advice from a primitive people who passed down their thoughts verbally for generation before haphazardly recording them in a book that's over 2,000 years old. That's why it's called the Old Testament, people. It's time to turn the page on that antique. Of course, the good news comes from the Gospel of the New Testament, which tells us that through repentance, we can be born again unto everlasting life. So let's all take off those hair shirts and run out into freedom. But with that in mind, it's these people among us who are born again 
who somehow get a holier-than-thou type of vibe. And I'm here to say that, hey, listen, this path is cool for you, but if you lived your life so bad that you had to be born again, please don't tell me how to live mine because I'm trying to do this right the first time around. I have an aunt who's been born again. Bless her heart, I hope she's well. I haven't seen her since mom passed, but I do remember she came to visit once when I was a kid, and before she got there, I was warned that this aunt was a little more prim and proper than all the rest, and I needed to be on my best behavior. I saw exactly what they meant, as her and I spent a lot of time together that week while mom was at work. One day, we were driving in mom's car when my aunt went to adjust the rearview mirror, and it came off in her hand, to which she responded with a loud, oh, shit! To which I looked at her shocked and wide-eyed and she looked back at me shamed and we silently agreed to never speak of this again. But as soon as I got home, I told mom everything and she immediately got on the phone and told all her sisters. A testament to old and new, the Quran, Torah, and Talmud, to err as human, to forgive as divine, which is definitely true if anything on this show ever offends you. For now, it's time to pull out on this episode, lest we have more future gifts to give. You won't catch me wearing a hair shirt as I'm fully stocked with zinc, though I will give thought to resting on Saturdays if the practice will grant me four to ten years more, let alone life everlasting. While tomorrow's another day, dog, be born again, stop in, and satisfy your addiction to joshing around.